It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Monday, November 29th, 2021. This is the KVMR Evening News. Tonight on the California Report. In February, the Biden administration began winding down former President Donald Trump's controversial Remain in Mexico program. Today's report looks at what's being done now that a Texas judge has ordered government officials to restart the program. And in National Native News, the making of a new documentary entitled Remaining Native follows the story of a U.S. Indian boarding school survivor and the first federal investigation into the schools. Then we turn to regional headlines and weather before Sierra Gold Parks Foundation board member Sid Brown takes us for a walk in the park to close out our newscast. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Around the world, countries are taking steps to try to halt the spread of the Omicron variant of COVID. Here in California, there have been no confirmed Omicron cases reported, but Thomas Aragon, the state's public health director, says officials are closely monitoring the situation. In a statement released over the weekend, Aragon also said vaccinations, including booster shots, continue to be the best weapons in the fight against the virus. Los Angeles County, public health officials are urging people to continue to wear masks at indoor public settings and at big outdoor events. Also in Los Angeles, full enforcement of the city of L.A.'s vaccine mandate is supposed to begin today. People 12 and older must show proof of vaccination to get entry to public indoor facilities like restaurants, theaters, gyms, and museums. Establishments violating the mandate will face penalties. At first, a warning, then fines starting at $1,000 for the first violation and escalating to $5,000 for the fourth and subsequent violations. Meanwhile, in Stanislaus County, the Board of Supervisors has passed a resolution banning county facilities from requiring a proof of vaccination to enter. The board also added language to the resolution saying people should have the right to make their own health decisions. This new rule will not apply to private businesses that still want to require proof of vaccination. In February, the Biden administration began winding down former President Donald Trump's controversial Remain in Mexico program. It sent people seeking asylum in this country back to Mexico to wait for months for their day in immigration court in the U.S. But over the summer, a Texas judge ordered government officials to restart the program. Now the Biden administration is preparing to roll it back out in the coming weeks. Reporter Max Rivlin-Nadler tells us that on the San Diego-Tijuana stretch of the border. Migrants and their advocates are split about what to do. Chantal is a 23-year-old transgender woman. She has been living in a crowded migrant encampment in Tijuana for a month. Sitting on a wall near her tent, she tells me she fled Honduras two years ago after she was kicked out of her home by her father and later beaten on the streets because of her gender identity. She has family in the United States but that's not why she's trying to get there. She says they're very religious and won't accept her. In Mexico, she says she was briefly abducted by a gang and has been beaten up on the streets of Tijuana. She says it's just as dangerous to be waiting in Mexico as it was living in Honduras. She's been trying to enter the United States for months to claim asylum. And each time, she's been turned back because of a U.S. policy known as Title 42 that blocks almost all people from crossing the border during the pandemic. 
But Chantal is still trying to find a safe way to seek refuge in the U.S. What she might get is the resumption of one of the most dangerous policies of the Trump administration. For over a year before the pandemic, more than 60,000 migrants were placed in Remain in Mexico, officially known as the Migrant Protection Protocols. But the group Human Rights First counted more than 1,500 reports of rape, murder, and other violence against asylum seekers in the program. People are living in conditions that are best described like a prolonged episode of The Hunger Games while trying to fight their case. That's Nicole Ramos. She's a lawyer with Al Otro Lado, one of the few groups that provides legal services to migrants in Tijuana. Waiting in Mexico border cities is not only dangerous, she says, but it makes it almost impossible to find a U.S. lawyer. And less than 1% of migrants actually won their asylum case while enrolled and remain in Mexico. The Biden administration asked Ramos's organization, along with others, to help humanely re-implement Remain in Mexico. They refused. We are not going to touch that program. We feel like our resources are better used conducting human rights monitoring and interviews and looking at ways to destroy the program. While the Biden administration agrees it should end, the court order to reinstate it has officials negotiating with the Mexican government to resume the program in the next few weeks. And lawyers in San Diego say they've been told that immigration judges and courtrooms are already prepared. Kate Clark, a lawyer with Jewish Family Service in San Diego, says this leaves legal service providers in a difficult spot. You can't make an inhumane program humane. That's the hard line for us. But once migrants are placed and remain in Mexico, she says there are a few ways lawyers can try to get them out of the program and into the U.S. to continue their asylum case. Whether in the future we're involved with submitting parole requests, that's sort of um, for us to consider. At the Casa del Migrante shelter on a hill beside the Tijuana River, Kathy Kruger assists migrants each day. If people are placed and remain in Mexico, she will provide them with legal assistance because she knows their options are limited. If they still want to do it, you just have to try to facilitate them for a smooth way of doing it. Everything that they went through made them take that decision. At the migrant encampment just feet away from the border wall, Chantal and others feel that time is running out. There are plans to close the camp in the coming weeks. Chantal says she needs to take a step, any step, to begin her asylum claim. If there is a chance at asylum in the U.S., even a slim one, she has to take it. She shows me a photo on her phone of how she feels most comfortable. Wearing makeup, a long dress, a completely different look. But here, she's in a sweatshirt and jeans, trying to keep a low profile. She knows entering the Remain in Mexico program won't get her out of Tijuana immediately. But it may be the only concrete step she has right now. For The California Report, I'm Max Rivlin-Nadler in Tijuana. Support for The California Report comes from Stanford Medicine. Protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits. StanfordHealthCare.org slash AdaptingCare. Paint Care. Now with 800 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at PaintCare.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt. 
whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, focused on finding exceptional people and helping them do more for others together on the web at SchmidtFutures.com. And that is the California Report for Monday, November 29th. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Thanks so much for joining us. In today's National Native News, a first look at a new documentary entitled Remaining Native. The film follows the story of a U.S. Indian boarding school survivor in Nevada and the first federal investigation into the schools. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. New York-based filmmakers are producing a documentary about reclaiming indigenous heritage. It's told through the experiences of an 18-year-old descendant of a U.S. Indian boarding school survivor. Michaela Savitt has more. The story centers on Koo Stevens, a top-ranking Nevada athlete who organized a run along the 50-mile escape route his great-grandfather Frank Quinn took in fleeing from the Stewart Indian Boarding School to the Yarrington Paiute Reservation. Remaining Native is the title of the film, which director and producer Paige Bethman, who is Mohawk and Oneida, says is named after the idea that he used his legs to preserve his identity, something that she feels many Indigenous people are struggling with. Trying to preserve our cultural identities, our tradition, our language, because of how many obstacles the United States has put in front of Indigenous people to like get rid of that aspect. The film also follows the first federal investigation into the U.S. boarding schools. Bethman's great-grandmother also is a U.S. residential school survivor. Bethman says making this feature has helped her understand the complexities of her cultural identity and community. That's what this film has brought to me, is that pride in being Native American, but also rebuilding a sense of myself that I felt like I've lost for so many years. Production for Remaining Native started shortly after more than 1,300 unmarked graves were found near the sites of former Indian residential schools in Canada. Bethman notes that policies such as boarding schools and land removal were designed to disenfranchise Indigenous people. The biggest gap of understanding is the fact that we are here despite all of those obstacles that we face that we're not just something that is a relic of the past. The team plans to embed themselves in the community in the new year to keep a closer eye on the investigation at Stewart Indian Boarding School. Bethman says the film will be released as early as 2023. That was Michaela Savitt reporting. Seven tribes this year have signed tribal historic preservation agreements with the National Park Service. Tribes in Washington, Texas, Colorado, California, Utah, New Mexico, and Nevada are new partners in the program. The program assists tribes in strengthening their historic preservation programs managed through tribal historic preservation offices. Agreements transfer certain historic preservation responsibilities to tribes, which otherwise are handled by states. There are currently more than 200 such tribal agreements across the country. The U.S. Election Assistance Commission is releasing new translations of the National Mail Voter Registration Form in three native languages. The translations are in Yupik, Navajo, and Apache. Audio translations are also being used, which can be accessed through the form. The commission is responsible for maintaining the forms, which are now available in 21 languages. The commission is an independent, bipartisan federal commission working on requirements of the Help America Vote Act. The release of the translations of the native languages is part of the commission's celebration of Native American Heritage Month. 
The St. Regis Mohawk Tribe is establishing a health research center to support and promote student interests in community health. The New York Tribe has received funding from the National Institutes of Health, a four-year grant of more than $2 million. Partners include the Roswell Park Comprehensive Cancer Center and its Indigenous Research Team. The research center will include two projects, Administrative Core Project and Scholars Program, which supports students entering health and research careers to address Indigenous health issues. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by the Smithsonian's National Museum of the American Indian presenting a virtual talk with acclaimed glass artist Preston Singletary on his work with Northwest Coast and Tlingit imagery starting December 1st at AmericanIndian.si.edu. Support by the National Indian Child Welfare Association. You can stand with NICWA to protect Native children and keep them connected to their family, community, and culture. Information on NICWA and how you can help at NICWA.org. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. In today's regional news, Nevada County Public Health reports 98 new confirmed COVID-19 cases today. Out of 9,673 cases since the start of the pandemic, 232 are active. 12 people are hospitalized, one in the ICU. One additional fatality has been recorded, bringing the death toll to 113 since the start of the pandemic. Governor Gavin Newsom has announced his judicial appointments today. He has appointed 11 new Superior Court judges, including one in Nevada County. Chucky resident Judge Yvette Durant will now serve on the Nevada County Superior Court. She has been a judge in the Sierra County Superior Court since 2016. Judge Durant served as a commissioner at the Nevada County Superior Court from 2011 to 2016. She is currently registered without party preference. The Sacramento Bee reports Yuba County Sheriff detectives are investigating the circumstances surrounding the death of an unidentified man found deceased at the bottom of an embankment along the side of Spenceville Road, near the Nevada-Yuba County border, on Friday. The Nevada County Sheriff's Office originally responded to a caller reporting they discovered a body at approximately 11.30 a.m. They have since determined that the location is in Yuba County's jurisdiction. Due to visible injuries on the body, Yuba County Sheriff's detectives are investigating the coroner's case as a suspicious death. However, identification of the man and cause of death is pending an autopsy. The sheriff's office estimated the victim was in his late 40s or early 50s. The investigation remains active and ongoing. This holiday season, a group of over 4,400 Placer County residents are coordinating an effort to memorialize, honor, and remember members of the community who have passed away from complications associated with COVID-19. Members of the Placer County COVID-19 Information and Placer County COVID Memorial Groups have created a holiday memorial. The display can be seen at Roseville's Christmas Tree Grove in the Vernon Street Town Square from December 1st to December 9th. There, a Christmas tree will stand, adorned in silver bells. Each bell represents a member of the community who has passed on from COVID-19. Once the display event is complete, 
The bells will be presented to participating family members with their loved one's name. Caltrans reports there is a one-way traffic control with intermittent closure scheduled from 9 p.m. tomorrow to 3 a.m. Wednesday on Highway 70 between East Gridley Road and the Butte-Yuba County line for bridge equipment operation. They do advise alternate routes. It may be nearly December, but you wouldn't know it by stepping outside. Let's take a look at our regional weather. The National Weather Service out of Sacramento reports breezy winds for portions of Northern California tomorrow through Wednesday morning. Expect wind gusts up to 30 miles per hour in some areas and higher on ridgetops. The NWS reminds you that now would be a good time to secure any holiday decorations. For those in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight, mostly clear with the low around 46. Tomorrow, sunny with a high near 69. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight, mostly clear with the low around 31. Tomorrow, sunny with a high near 60. And in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight, patchy dense fog after midnight, increasing clouds with a low around 43. Tomorrow, mostly clear with a high near 45. Up next, Sid Brown takes us for our bi-weekly walk in the park. What can we expect from our local state parks this holiday season? Sid lets us in on all that's upcoming. Well, hello, this is Sid Brown with Sierra Gold Parks Foundation, and welcome to a walk in the park. Well, this has been a week of thanks, and I do want to acknowledge how grateful I am that we live in a community in a place with three wonderful state parks. These parks are open to us year-round, and they're accessible year-round, which is just such a wonderful thing to be able to get out in nature and appreciate all the individual special qualities that the parks have. And the parks, of course, are Empire Mine State Historic Park, South Yuba River State Park, and Malakoff Diggins State Historic Park. And this is also a month where we recognize and appreciate and acknowledge the original people who occupied this land, the Nisanan. And it's so wonderful seeing the multiple community recognitions of the Nevada City Rancheria and the um, efforts to get federal recognition and the wonderful art that is being brought to our community. I think last time I talked about a special recorded interview that Shelley Covert did with Alyssa Borich, one of the uh, state park employees down at the South Yuba River State Park. And that has been recorded, that little interview, and it'll be available on YouTube for all that are interested. And it's part of our ports program, the Parks Outdoor uh, Resources for Teachers and Students. Let's see. So Empire Mine State Stork Park is in winter hours now, so it opens up the inner uh, historic core behind the wall. Those hours are 10 until 4. At 4 o'clock, you must leave that inner area. But all three state parks are open from sunrise to sunset. 
We are, uh, Empire Mine has been decorated with holiday decorations, with green garlands and poinsettias and, and lighting and Christmas trees throughout the park. We are getting ready to open up for some building tours. We're hoping that will be happening quite soon. And of course, the blacksmiths are operating every day, as far as I know. And every time I go there, they are there working and, and creating some wonderful crafts and demonstrating their skill. In particular at Empire Mine, but at all three state parks, um, dogs are very popular. And most people who bring their dogs to the parks are very respectful of the rules and regulations. But I do want to put out a reminder that uh, whenever you're in a state park or a state historic park, the dogs are supposed to be and must be on a leash. And we really request that people clean up after their dogs. I had a, a kind of unfortunate situation the other day in the beautiful groomed historic gardens and great green grass and paved pathways, a little piece of dog reminder right on the middle of the road in the middle of the walkway. So please clean up after your dogs. We have a wonderful maintenance staff and they are really tasked with cleaning and maintaining the buildings in good operating conditions. So please clean up after your dogs. Keep your dogs on a leash. We've had people being very concerned and being um, violating, actually, the leash area in some of the farther reaches of the park. And I've been told that the rangers will enforce and, and write a ticket if they find you with your dog off a leash. So please honor, honor the rules so we can continue to have our furry friends enjoy the parks with us. But they do have an impact. At South Yuba River State Park, so many people are coming to Bridgeport and enjoying the reopened Bridgeport Bridge um, and the trails that go from there, Point Defiance and uh, Buttermilk Bend Trail are in great shape. And boy, these long autumn days with the beautiful light and the long shadows are a really beautiful time to explore those parks. Sometimes even nicer than in the summer because the temperatures are so delightful for a walk. And Malakoff Diggins is open. The buildings, again, are closed uh, still due to COVID and having to get them cleaned and made accessible uh, by our very limited staff. But the um, museum part, the front part at Malakoff Diggins State Park is should be open every single day except for Christmas and Thanksgiving. Um, I forgot to say at um, Bridgeport there is a little visitor center there and that visitor center hours are 11 to 3 from Thursday through Sunday so you can go inside on the south side of the river, the little visitor center there by the bridge. Okay, well, um, that's pretty much it for now. The three parks are um, experiencing a lot of use, a lot of appreciation, and I always love seeing people come from all over to enjoy our beautiful uh, treasures here in western Nevada County. I hear many languages in the gift shop at Empire Mine, and, and it's really fun to be able to point people uh, to the little hidden treasures, uh, little special things to not miss, like the mine model at Empire, like the uh, Humbug Trail, um, and the beautiful Bridgeport Bridge. We are so lucky for these treasures, and let's all try to remember to keep them nice and bring your friends and your family and appreciate and learn more about our local treasures. 
Sid Brown sits on the board of the Sierra Gold Parks Foundation and joins us every other week with news and updates from Nevada County's three state parks. Learn more at sierragoldparksfoundation.org. That's our newscast for this Monday, November 29th. If you ever miss a part of an interview or want to listen to something a second time that caught your interest, you can always listen to the full extended versions of our stories and interviews on our website at kvmr.org or wherever you get your podcasts. KVMR gets support from Milkman Toner Company, providing local hometown service for network printers, copiers, and scanners. Carrying environmentally safe, remanufactured toner cartridges with printer support. Serving Northern California counties, also San Francisco to Lake Tahoe. MilkmanCompany.com And SPD Markets, family operated in Nevada County since 1959. Offering conventional, organic, and local products. Produce, also specialty food. Nevada City location carrying hardware, fix-it, and camping needs, including small appliances. SPDmarket.com Stick around at 6.30, it's the Women's International News Gathering Service, WINGS. The 16 Days Against Gender Violence is underway. On this episode of WINGS, we hear the United Nations Women's Executive Director presentation to the UN Security Council on Women, Peace, and Security. Director Bahus is a strong advocate of spending more money on supporting women and less on the military. Following her presentation is a joint interview with both Bahus and philanthropist Melinda French Gates. Then at 7, we have Democracy Now! with host Amy Goodman. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza. Thanks for listening. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off.